And my passion is to rid this great nation of America of soccer. Soccer here in the U.S. is due in part to the influx of immigrants saying, quote, I promise you, no American whose great-grandfather was born here is watching soccer. This is a waste of our time, energy, and resources. Long little cheek, niggas fighting over rain, niggas won't be the game, but long little cheek, yeah, watch pretty mama while I slay my cane. Long little cheek, uh, cockroaches in the rats, uh, hand me downs with the patches, mama put a little money in the match, tell me how to make a silver spoon out of plastic, I will not rest. And so I see nothing but baseball, the last word, I'ma get the last laugh. Now they say you're better while you're dressing so classy. I don't want my best dressed day in a casket. You can either leave, follow, or get out the way. Make a fucking move, it will make my fucking day. Got a hundred year plan, you just think about the day. Always been about time, more than been about Alright, hello and welcome. This is your uh, uh, I was gonna say management driven. This is your Let's Six Football. It has been fucking forever. Um, this is your host, Gabe Lesnar. We are doing our first live show on YouTube, so no editing exactly. I mean, our, our podcast listeners will actually uh, see some of that editing stuff. Obviously, you got me here on the mic. This is Gabe Lesnar. I'm the host of the Managing Madrid podcast. This, pod, uh, this podcast, I'm on Managing Madrid, journalist. I cover uh, soccer, generally in Europe, and, my, and I'm also an attorney based in Washington, D.C. My buddy, Evan Mateer. Evan, how's it going? And welcome to our first fucking broadcast on YouTube live. I, I know, man. It's been way too long. This is really cool. We are hip and with the kids now. We are. We are. We the, are streamers the, the now. We are str- Oh, my God. We are streamers. We're That's not just pod- literally like, what we are. Being a podcaster is so 2014. It's all about being yeah. a streamer now. It's all about stream. So now what we're going to do is instead of doing any analysis, any jokes, any covering of bad takes, we're just both going to play FIFA for the next 10 hours. That's I right. think that's that's basically what streamers do. Um so yeah, that's sort of that's sort of what's going on. Here's the thing though. We've so like I feel like the streamers are like t- I I feel really incredulous at the gamer streamers because like yelling about FIFA while we play FIFA is a thing you and I have been doing for a long fucking time. And uh-huh. we just didn't ever put it on video. They're taking our, they're taking our thunder, man. That's called plagiarism. In our profession, you get really screwed over for doing shit like that. Well, not really. I'm not, not an really. academic I anymore. Mean, I guess it depends on like in the journalism profession you do in the legal profession, not really at all. No, not really. Not control really. Control C, control V. You have a brief. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the basically basic premise of this show is two uh, douchebag lawyer Americans kind of breaking down uh, all the news of the week, focusing basically on the bad takes, trying to get into MLS. Um, but this show, um, not so much MLS. Not saying there's not MLS news, but um, there's sort of a lot of European news that we kind of get to uh, have to get to, Evan. Yeah, it's been. I mean, obviously with the World Cup and then with the transfer window. Um, and MLS is kind of in, it's kind of like baseball it has like a dog days in the middle of the season. That's kind of what um, MLS yeah. for, is right now. Also Orlando city sucks. And so like, I am 
Oof. Well, we do have some DC United news, and I was going to get to that. Also sucks. Because it's the most important news in world football right now, because it's in the America, it's in the world capital, uh, the world capital of the world, um, Washington, D.C., and guess who has arrived and who has made his debut for DC United as best player in the world, um, Wayne, the best player in the world, Wayne Rooney. The great English hope circa 2010. Cheers. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I'm gonna I'm gonna need my drink of grappa because my God, I uh, am I not uh, not excited for Wayne Rooney. But you know what, Evan, I watched some of it, and uh, we weren't wrong to say that he already is better than like a lot of the players in MLS. Yeah, no, no, no question at all. Like he's t- just technically on another level, and uh, like I mean, he was reasonably effective like in kind of a deep lying playmaker like number 10 role for Everton last year and it, not great but he was fine um but like being fine in the Premier League translates to like kicking ass in MLS yeah it's uh, pretty much what's going on kicking absolute ass and you know he actually is going to be pretty good for you for DC United the problem is DC United sucks a huge amount of ass uh anyways and just having one good player as Argentina in the World Cup found out not gonna cut it no that's not a fair thing Argentina actually had a pretty goddamn good team um and I'm sure that if Messi were to come to DC United suddenly they'd be uh favorites to win favorites to win the MLS Cup that's yeah, I think that's where that's headed. Is Messi's going to go to United? But you know, so United. it's been it's been a few, almost a month since we actually last talked, Evan, and and I oh, just right. you know, there's so much important stuff that's gone on, and I just wanted to you know break down the most important news of the month. It must and be about Ronaldo, right? It is the fact that the psychic octopus in Japan was killed uh, and and eaten. So that yeah. is just terrible. I really like the and eaten part. Yeah. Like it's not just that they killed it. Like didn't like I think the old psychic octopus just like died because it was in a zoo or something. Well, yeah, and, and like, the Germans died. wanted to kill it because they, you know, obviously it picked Spain to beat Germany <laughs> in the semifinals, and yeah. uh, Spain actually brought the octopus. His name was Paul, uh, and and it lived out its days in Spain um, right. as, as it, a modern marvel, yeah. uh, as it should but, be. But Japan just ate it. They're like, do you know what? This was cute and everything, but also we're hungry. Also good food. I love octopus. And you know what? Sequels are never as good as the first. You know, R.I.P. Paul, gone but not forgotten. Sequels yeah. are never as good as the first one. That's true, too. I was never really into Psychic Octopus 2.0. No, not at all. Um, but yeah, I wanted to bring up Wayne Rooney because he had um, arguably the tweet of the decade uh, as he made his first debut here uh, in MLS when he said... Happy 4th of July to all at DC United fans and everybody celebrating. Enjoying a day at <laughs> the baseball. Come gotta on, go to the Nationals. Gotta go to the baseball. Let's go to the baseball, everybody. Have a good day at the baseball. I mean, that's it a totally is, normal way to uh, talk about it. It's a 100% chance that when he told like friends of his, like he called John Terry, he's like, yeah, I'm going to play at the MLS. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent sure he said the MLS. And like to be fair, I think it's pretty funny to say it's a day at the baseball. I mean, that is sort of what's going on. It's not like he's understanding what's going on in the pitch. He's just at the baseball. I mean, the baseball baseball what? game, the baseball. Um, I mean, you what? can't be at a verb. 
Uh, yes. I mean, what is baseball? I mean, this is not a verb. It's not a verb. It's not a verb. It's not a verb. Yeah. It's now. It's Congratulations to Wayne. Welcome. Um, DC, uh, the city welcomed Wayne Rooney by having uh, some of the hottest days in living memory. Um, it was about 110 and humid. So I'm, I'm hoping he's really happy with his decision to come from Manchester, where it was like 75 and cloudy, uh, to DC. Yeah, the DC summers are brutal. That's especially brutal. I didn't know it was that bad up there. Yes. Yeah, so um, every day here. Yeah. Uh, it's well. Yeah, you're in the desert, but it's not as humid. I hope. No, no, it's not. But like, I don't know. 110 is 110 <laughs> at some point. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, I wanted to uh, continue with our theme of just um, extremely extremely normal and good reactions to things. So Belgian manager um, Roberto Martinez, uh, who I think we should now call the special one 2.0 just because of how incredibly annoying he is, came out after Belgium uh, uh, advanced past Brazil and said, and, and it's really just one of the great quotes because anyone who follows the game knows that Roberto Martinez, not a good coach, but here it is here. He, he says, um, I've never lost a game on on the tactics board. It's about the execution of the tactics. Oh, Charlie doesn't like it at all. Charlie's correct to not like it. He's right. He's just right. Roberto Martinez is one of the. I mean, he is buoyed. This Belgian team is buoyed by the fact that they have one of the greatest generations in the history of their players. Right, like. Thibaut Courtois, their keeper, Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku. These are just a group of supremely talented, world-beating players. And he executed a game plan against, you know, a Brazilian team that uh, out-expected goals. Not not if that's a verb, but out-expected goals his team by more than two goals. So, yeah, your tactics actually, his team won despite his tactics, not because of them. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add to that other than, you know, he was, yeah, he, I, you, there's a very strong case to be made that even go, you know, even a third place run for this team is, you know, kind of underperforming for this team. Like a good manager does more with that talent. It's, it, it was one of the more balanced teams in the, in the tournament. He could never get service to Lukaku. He just let him get marked out of existence all the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, only kind of moments of individual brilliance from a lot from Hazard really, uh really saved him and from Lukaku himself I mean let's let's just look quickly back to say that it's not like a ridiculous outcome if you know Belgium had lost to Japan who took a two nothing lead oh yeah yeah. I forgot they should have lost that game and it was only like bad you like the Japanese playing badly there at the very end uh even giving up that goal to lose you giving up that break and then Lukaku being ridiculous on it yeah it's and you know, obviously Belgium managed to come back. Courtois had a number of crucial saves, but you know, in in a in another universe, it's not that different from this one. We're talking about how uh, this Belgium team flamed out of the World Cup because their tactics were so bad that they were beaten by a Japanese team that, by all accounts, shouldn't have even made it to the next round. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's true. It's right. He sucks. 
And he does suck. Uh, and one of the things that has been really great for me personally as a fan of Spain and the Spanish national team uh, is that they there was a lot of chatter about maybe him taking over the Spain job. And thank God they gave it to someone else. Um, I didn't Luis, know that. They gave it to Luis Enrique, the ex-coach of Barcelona and Roma. I don't know why he was like a sought-after coach coming out of uh, coming out of Everton, but Luis weird. Enrique. No, Mark uh, Martinez. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't I mean, make no, sense I, to me I either. No idea why he was sought after. Well, I think all it shows, Evan, is is the how bad the talent at manager is on the international level. I mean, like Didier Deschamps, who is oh, by all accounts. Awful. One of the worst coaches in in the world managed to guide the Spain, like the this France team to the World Cup final, which we're going to talk about in a second. But did it, they won that game and they won the final despite the absolute dog shit managing of this 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 absolutely terrible coach who took a team that had um, arguably the greatest attacking talent in a generation and made them a Italian Catanaccio style team that would win games one to nothing by sitting back the entire match. It was a, it was a nightmare. Yeah. It makes you got it. It makes you wonder whether, you know, the like good coaches of the world, the peps of the world, you know, think if they, you know, about timing their next job to like, if I just hop, you know, if they just hop into a world cup squad, like the year before they could win the world cup. Yeah, I wanted to uh, transition to another fantastic take, which is uh, an article that appeared in The Guardian, which is uh, uh, trying to kind of explain to American fans what I think sort of I think the way to call it is diving. But the article's title is what is shithousery and why it's the World Cup's biggest problem? It's become the talking point of the tournament, but where does the term come from, and what are its worst examples? So, Evan, um, what is shithousery, and why is it uh, the World Cup's biggest problem, bigger than the fact that the World Cup is being hosted by an authoritarian dictatorship, uh, and uh, the fact that FIFA literally sold it to them, among many, many other things, and the fact that FIFA literally, and we'll talk about this too, looked away and looked to the side while the Russian team doped its players. Okay, but shit housery the worst uh, part of the World Cup. Gabe, Neymar rolled around a couple too many times and, you know, he was kind of whiny and this is an affront to the dignity of the game um, in a way that slavery or, you know, the promotion of the Syrian national team, which was being used for propaganda purposes in the Civil War, just simply isn't, Okay. That's a really good point. I mean, it's not a problem that we now, you know, that uh, Yanni Infantino came out and said, thankfully, everyone has a much different view of Russia and Russia's government now that the World Cup happened. That's not a problem at all. The problem is the fact that Neymar uh, at full sprint uh, fell down and rolled one too many times on the pitch. Look, when Deli Alley goes down easy in the box, it is a stain upon everything that is right and just in the world. When Vladimir Putin stands on the podium with the trophy after the final, it is just dignified. It's true. And you know what the problem with Delhi is? That he's not a he's not a real Englishman like Wayne Rooney. No, see, you know? This he's is not, really key. He's not a real Englishman that'll stomp on someone's balls and then complain when the referee sends him off and then have the entire, entire media class blame someone else for him being sent off for stomping on someone's balls. Delhi 
Billy, on the other hand, you know, will roll around on the ground after he gets decked for the ninth time in one game because he's not a real Englishman that can. Which we should also. Also, we have to be really clear that Shithousery is Neymar being annoyed at his 27th foul in the first half. Shithousery is not committing 27 fouls on Neymar in the first half. That's right. Shithousery is more of a problem that Neymar is complaining about the fact that a team is is fouling him too much. Uh, and, you know, shout out to David Rudin, um, our friend, for bringing this up. Uh it's it is just a terrible article, and I encourage everyone to uh, go check it out. I mean, as David says, the World Cup is being run by a comically corrupt organization and hosted by a repressive regime that has also systematic doping issues. I assume you, uh, but I assure you that some rolling around on the ground is not as big its problem. Cannot agree more, David. Cannot yep, agree more. Nailed it. Um, so, I uh, the next, I think, big topic that I wanted to get into, uh, is, so at the end of Uruguay, France and Uruguay, Fran- um, I'm sorry, Ur- yeah, it was Uruguay, Uruguay, France. So that, that was an interesting match because, uh, Uruguay looked to me like a team that really could make a deep run in the competition. But, uh, in minute 85, they were down two nothing French, you know, the French team did really have a, have a strong defense. They didn't look like they were set to score, especially with Cavani out. So you saw some of the players on Uruguay's pitch, uh, begin to tear up because of how emotional and painful it is to lose a world cup game when your entire country is supporting you. I think that any reasonable, respectable human being understands that uh gary neville is not one of those people um gary neville went off on a rant um i think most you know most particularly calling uh jimenez's in-game cry particularly embarrassing uh and my friend and you know friend of the show Keon Savani tweeted about this and and noted that um it's not embarrassing it's a real feeling and it's actually Gary Neville's statement that is embarrassing. And what I would say is the response to this, the response to Keon's tweet is just, it is it is just, everyone has disgraced themselves. I think in particular, I wanted to highlight this particular person called at Real Madrid CFVN um, saying, but this game is only for warriors. You should fight until the end instead of crying. And so I, you know, obligatory. Ob- obligatory mention that sports is not war and players are not warriors. Uh, what's, interesting which is to, what's interesting to me, Evan, is this is actually the second podcast in a row that we've had to remind someone that this sport is not uh, the literal act of killing someone on a battlefield. It's, it's true. It's very weird having to constantly remind people that actually war is war and sports are sports. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's not that hard to grasp. You see in war, People die because other people make them die, and that's sort of that. In sports, people generally don't die. I mean, like, there are, you know, really random occasions where it happens, but it's not intentional. Right, it's not the intent to kill somebody. It's the intent to score a goal. It feels dumb that we have to explain that to these people. Yeah, it's a little bit annoying. It's more than a little bit annoying. It's very. <laughs> it's more than a little bit annoying. It's like there's this whole like absolute and 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 what's cool about you know soccer and I think especially soccer Twitter is that it it really does 
you know, at least the, the community of people that uh, I think made up American soccer Twitter have, you know, really pushed back on some of these particularly toxic elements of the way that, that people commentate about the game. And there's this, you know, because for Gary Neville, I have no doubt that if, you know, Jose uh, Manuel Jimenez had, had started crying at the end of the match, he would have said, well, look at that. That's the emotion that this game brings. But five minutes before the match, suddenly this is a game for warriors and you don't cry and you don't have emotion at all. I mean, uh, this is the same people that, again... They defended Wayne Rooney stomping on someone's balls. Like, <laughs> yeah. if this game is for gentlemen and for warriors, like, how can you square that with their literal, like, justification for the actions of some of the actual douche, like, truly violent and destructive behavior of the players that they, they, they you know, idolize and they like and they think are good representatives? Yeah, I... I don't even know where to go with the stupid analogy. Like first off the concept that people like were actual warriors, like would never cry as stupid and wrong. Um, like just to start with. So even like, even if like the analogy works, they're still idiots and still wrong. Um, but like, I, I don't know. I, this is probably a freaking generational thing more yeah. than anything. Like, it's just like old crotchety dudes who, you know, girls cry and guys don't cry or, you know, watching these younger guys with a different attitude towards that play of the game. And um, yeah, just the, you know, the concept of like, you know, it, obviously sports is always like really bound up in like hyper masculinity and, and uh, you know, that, means different things for different generations and for older generations it means that you're not supposed to cry you're just supposed to drink a lot you just drink a lot after the game uh and then go fight people in the pub and drive drunk home i mean right. that's literally what wayne rooney does i'm sorry to keep picking on wayne rooney but like he's in my city now and you know i walk around my city and i'm I, you know don't drive drunk in my city, you sack of you absolute sack of shit who looks like someone who I'd find in a pub who just punched me for no reason. God. Uh okay. All right. I'm I need to I need to I need to cool down. I need, I'm gonna take a drink uh, uh uh a drink of my grappa here. And I I wanna transition. Uh, I want to transition to what I think, Evan, I think we can comfortably say is the weirdest story of this World Cup. Yeah, that's Probably right. And you're referring, of course, to the strange relationship. I don't even know exactly what to call it. The interactions between Mohamed Salah and the president of Chechnya. Uh, I believe it's pronounced Katerov. Ramzan Kadyrov. Yes. Kadyrov. Yeah, uh, I can't really pronounce Russian shit. And this is related. So now, now, like the when I originally wrote this outline and 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 you know wanted to talk about this, we hadn't seen the sort of denouement of the way this has gone down. Um, but I think that it, it'd be instructive to talk a little bit about the background of who Ramzan Kadyrov is, Evan. Yeah. So I mean, he is the president of Chechnya and noted piece of shit. Um, he is, he, so Chechnya is part of Russia, but it's like very autonomous. Um, and he's given a lot of free reign to kind of run it with a iron fist sort of kind of, it's kind of a, an agreement sort of wink and nod agreement with the, uh, Russian Federation that they will allow him to have a free hand in Chechnya. If he's allowed in turn to kind of be a little dictator down there. Um, and so he's, you know, runs a very, 
um, oppressive local government. It's very harsh towards, uh, notably harsh towards LGBT community, um, dissidents, things like that. Um, yeah, he's just he's just really you know, all around a, a solid dude. If you if you hear stories about LGBT concentration camps and disappearances in Russia, the uh, I think correct assumption is that uh, Ramzan Kadyrov and his government is probably behind it. Uh, and uh, he's he's a so he is one of the things that he is more than almost anything is a uh, uh, Islamic. Uh, uh, a strong man. So he uses uh, and perverts uh, uh, Islam to uh, kind of hold his region, his semi-autonomous region in an iron fist. I mean, obviously he's close to the actual Kremlin and, and, and the government there, but he does do his own sort of shit. And the way he does that is by cozying up to athletes and especially Muslim athletes um, and a lot of them, I mean, I won't say all of them, but a lot of them don't really understand what they're getting into, right? Because athletes are not the most bright people. They're not the people most political, like, you know, I mean, most, most of them are like 24 years old. Like how many 24 year olds just around the world randomly that you're going to pick up from like a college, even a college campus are going to have any fucking clue what's going on in Chechnya. Exactly. So I think the basic, the basic feeling, um, that, that, that the international community has with him is that he is. He really is a dictator, and 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 he's trying to project in the same way that a lot of uh, uh, a lot of authoritarian regimes use sport to project their you know and and launder their image. And so one of the ways he's done that and 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 try to confer himself legitimacy is by co-opting the image of Mohammed Salah, who is one of the if not the most famous uh, Muslim athlete. In the world, so uh, what we what we had reporting from um, during this World Cup from the absolutely unparalleled, just absolute, you know, phenom Karim Zidane. I think everyone should follow him. He's at, at Zidane Sports, uh, Z I D A N, not the E, not like the Real Madrid player. Um, and he has done just a ton of reporting on this stuff, and his reporting is. Absolutely fascinating, and it details the way that Ramzan Kadyrov wormed his way into the Egyptian Federation to the extent that he actually got the Egyptian national, like hosted the national team, made sure that Salah was sitting next to him. There are these absolutely horrific pictures of him, like grinning next to Mohammed Salah. Uh, and, 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 uh, uh, the other Egyptian players were at a different table. So he's using Salah's, uh, image to try to launder and, and, and expand his own image. The yeah, other he had person. Like a, he had like a, yeah. He did like a bunch of photo ops. So he also like took him on a walk. He like gave him an honorary right. citizenship. So he could do all these photo ops to make sure that he got him and Salah standing together, you know, shaking hands, whatever, taking pictures. And so the other thing that he, uh, that he's been doing is, uh, uh, using UFC fighters to launder his image in the same sort of way. So uh, the the uh, there's a whole and one of the things that Kareem has done such a great job reporting on. I can't stress, and I know this is I'm a fanboying a little bit, but Kareem is such a great journalist. And one of the things that I that he's done is 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 really delineate all of the different contacts that Kadyrov has had with different sports figures, especially in the UFC world, and. Uh, 
So what? But what he's now done is expanding his his palette, his his sphere of influence to football teams, uh, and in particular this Egyptian national team, uh, and in particular even within that Mohamed Salah. Now, uh, when I when I began saying we should talk about this, it wasn't clear how Mohamed Salah felt about this and whether he knew he was being used right. By uh, sorry, not UFC MMA. I think is the is the better way to talk. I don't. I want to be precise, so I don't. I don't get uh, accused, or I don't. I don't like mislabel uh, Kareem's reporting. But uh, what we've seen now, and and after the denouement of the World Cup, we've actually seen that Salah was incredibly upset with the way that his federation handled the Ramzan Kadyrov interaction. So it's it's worth noting. Uh, 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 that Salah was prepared to quit the Egyptian national team uh, uh, when uh, uh, when it came out that they were going to be uh, meeting and 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 dining with Kadyrov because Salah, like many other players, is someone who is a very liberal and regular Muslim, right? He's not someone who's some sort of ridiculous fanatic who wants to, you know, uh, uh, help launder the image of this horrible dictator. And so Salah said uh, that while he values his country, he's a patriot, he doesn't want to be... Uh, uh, he felt very uncomfortable and didn't like being used as a puppet by, uh, by Kadyrov, which is exactly what he was. Uh, during during the World Cup, it's a fascinating story. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Yeah, I mean the the Egyptian FA really fucked up. Just so so Egypt was training like their home base during the World Cup was in Chechnya, which was stupid to start with, um, and they did it you know probably uh, for very similar reasons that Kadyrov would would prefer, which is you know the you know the one of the Muslim teams in the tournament having their home base and their training grounds in the Muslim region of Chechnya. Um, so, I mean, that was a bad choice just to start with. Um, and, and I think that Salah really didn't know a whole lot about what, you know, about the specifics of the politics or anything like that. But I, I think that when he got this wave of criticism, when people started to see these pictures, he was just taken aback because, you know, as a, as a player, you expect the FA is going to take care of those things for you. Like they're not going to put you in compromising situations, uh, where you're, you know, where you're going to get criticized. It's kind of their job to, you know, to, you know, any athlete, right, is ushered around by press people. And you're trusting that those press people um, have your best interest at heart. And and the FA just really let Salah down. And I think that's where the threats to quit the national team came from. It's, you know, people were saying, oh, he's unpatriotic. He doesn't, you know, love Egypt. And I think that's ridiculous. It was absolutely he felt, ridiculous. He felt betrayed by the FA. It wasn't about the Egyptian people or his country. It was about the FA in particular, uh, you know, using him. Uh, and I think that speaks a lot to uh, Salah's character. Like, I, I, you know, he's it's a complicated position to be basically the most loved athlete in a huge chunk of the world. Like, all of Egypt, you know, from all the reporting that we've done and, and people that I've talked to, like, this is – He's a man that, that that brought Egyptian football onto the map, and like, it's it, it it's a huge weight of responsibility, uh, uh, to, you know, be a player that that represents the country and the hopes and dreams of these players the way that Salah did, especially with and let's remember an Egyptian team that kind of snuck into the World Cup on a very much a last second penalty, Evan. 
Yeah, they so it was you know they had to they had to get in. Um, they were I think the last last team to qualify out of uh, um, out of Egypt. And yeah, I mean they it it was a thrilling thing for them. I think that they I think a lot of things were mixed together in like the criticism of Salah. They did not he didn't the Egypt did not have a good World Cup. I think they expected to break from the group stages and they didn't. And in part they, they didn't break from the group stages because Salah didn't have a very good World Cup. Um and you know, fair or not, I think that was the expectation. Yeah. It didn't really pan out. And you know, you wonder how much of the criticism is also bound up with just disappointment in you know in the performance just on the field. Yeah. Uh, so I want to move forward from a team that didn't perform maybe as well as they should have, or as well as uh, maybe you, Evan, <laughs> who owe me a dinner bet on this, performed to the team that I won my dinner bet on, uh, the Russians. Uh, the yeah. Russians who... Uh, so there, I, have an, I have a lot of things to say, uh, and we have a couple of things that I want to talk about specifically with respect to this. But the Russians uh, performed well, well beyond what anyone, anyone, anyone suggested that they might do in this World Cup. And it's not clear what exactly was the cause of that, because... Well- I mean, sure. so I, yeah, I mean, field I, advantage, it does good. play, it does play a, it does play a role. Gabe, I, it's, it's weird, right? Because we, there's, there's a certain level of quality in that Russian team that we, I think every, like we've seen these players play at club level. We know how good they are. We know how good they were in other games. In fact, we know how they performed in other matches leading up to, um, the World Cup and the performance wasn't good. It's almost like there was something that enhanced their performance. It's amazing. I have no idea what what could possibly make a team that didn't really that looked really old and didn't run that much and some somehow they became uh through the first 3 games the team that ran uh the most sprint miles in the entire tournament. I wonder what could possibly have uh I wouldn't say like enhanced but made their performance better in a way that was um random totally random and not we're not saying that there's anything else going on it's just totally random and hi putin if your team is really great it you know so here he, my other thought is this right so we just had another international competition where a lot of citizens of the state of russia participated and i wonder if we could you know look at their participation and like you know, things we know from there that indicated why these Olympic athletes might have performed well. And if there's any lessons we can learn from how Russia approaches the Olympics to how they might have achieved these results in the World Cup. Hmm. I wonder if it's possible that there is an entire documentary that's been made about something that has any relation to to this, Evan? Have you have you heard of such a thing? I've I heard whispers of something at like some kind of a you know small film festival, like the Academy Awards or some crap, uh, talking hmm. about something to do with Russian fake uh, Russian news. Voting. Academy Awards. That's fake. yeah, the liberal elite. Mm. Yeah, it's it's it is a very much a fake, I uh, fake news documentary that. 
showed that the actual Russians uh, engaged in a systematic program of doping their athletes engaged that led to them entire country being banned from an entire Olympics. Fake news. When Icarus, the documentary, said that the entire Russian team at the behest of the Russian government and run by the Russian sports agencies did all engage in doping, they really meant to say didn't. Yeah, well, that actually is now a regular thing that people do. And, you know, sometimes you misspeak. Sometimes you say, yeah, I took those banned substances. And, and, and what they meant was, no, I didn't take those banned substances. And that's what A-Rod famously said after uh, he didn't take those banned substances. And now he is uh, totally fine and everyone likes him. I'm glad, though, that there's no indication that FIFA knew about any wrongdoing with the Russian team leading into the tournament. That is the most important part of all of this. Because we could not stand FIFA being corrupt. Right. That's the biggest thing. Right, right, right. The, the the biggest the biggest possible thing that 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 could be bad would be that FIFA uh may have hang on. I'm I'm just receiving I'm receiving oh uh I'm receiving a report that yep. FIFA knew about the positive of the cover up of Russia's players positive drug test 18 oh. months ago. I'm receiving that right now. What? Oh, son of a bitch. Yep. Um interesting. I've also been told that the grappa that I've been drinking has been infused with a nerve agent and I will be <laughs> dead in the next 10 minutes. So you're going to have to yeah. take it over from here. Yeah, this is your host Evan Matier. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's really cool. It's really regular. I mean, they didn't win the World Cup, Evan. Oh, thank fucking God. Thank God they only made it to the quarterfinals. And beat my team. God damn it. I'm so fucking angry about this. I can't deal with this. Such a stupid, such a stupid game. God, Spain, Spain, man. Not, not great. It turns out, in fact, and I think, did we had a chance, I think, to talk our last time. It was right when Spain had fired their manager, uh, heading in the World Cup, and we we kind of disagreed a little bit on how how big an impact that would make. But it looks like it went not great. You were right about that. The uh, impact was substantial. But uh, what I will say is, I, I I feel a little vindicated, and I God, it's amazing that we haven't really talked about this since then. But I. Uh, What's amazing to me about the entire Spain situation is that they actually played basically the right tactics and were by far the better team against Russia in that first 90 minutes. Uh, and then really the extra time as well. They they actually outplayed the Russians. Like, yeah, yeah, the Russians somehow, I'm not sure how they did it. It's incredible, totally uh, unsure why, but they didn't make a single substitution and ran and sprinted every single second of that 120-minute game. Uh, and then they went to penalties. I mean, it's um, because they're such a young and energetic and spry team, right? That's right. That's right. They're all 50. Yeah. They have no one on that team. That's over 40. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) But what really, God, I I can't wait until we have a nice non-controversial world cup. Yeah. Like I can't wait until 2050 to have that, uh, when we're all fucking dead. But, uh, (laughs) what's really interesting about this whole thing is that, uh, we are a podcast that is obsessed and not obsessed, but, you know, ob- no, appropriately obsessed with FIFA and how, you know, FIFA has managed this systematic uh, cover up 
of all the different abuses in their system. And this is just one of a number of a billion different cover-ups in their system. And people have been bringing up the fact that Russians have been running longer, they've been running harder, and they've been running faster than any other team by far, even though that was never the game that they ever played. In fact, they were the bottom of any World Cup team. They were, along with Panama, the worst team coming into this World Cup. And not only did they qualify out of the group stage, they beat one of the fi- like the favorites for the finalist, you know, to, to to be a finalist in the World Cup. And yet, I blame Spain almost entirely for that result. But you can't discount the fact that Russia managed to run for 120 goddamn minutes of that game. There was no. They managed to to to, to keep it so that they could run counterattacks and and uh uh stop. Uh, uh, and stop Spain at every at every juncture. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's really frustrating to see. To, I, like, I don't know. I don't actually know what the um. And I probably should figure this out. I don't know what like the drug testing regime like during the World Cup is. I actually don't know if there is one. Um, but if there isn't, then it's like a crying shame, and there should be. Yeah. Um, to actually see what these people are on, but like, like the the, it, the entire point of Icarus, right? And everyone should watch this movie. Is that. Uh, the Russians laundered all of their drug testing through uh, because the the WADA had a drug testing facility in Russia, and the Russian government just laundered all of the Russian tests. So there's a reason that the Russians never came up positive, and it's because they goddamn it laundered all of the results through their own anti-doping agency. That's what yeah. the Icarus guy says. Everyone should watch that movie. It not only okay, not only does it uh does it you know would it shock you. If you're a person that cares about um, international sports at all, it's also a really good TV. Yeah, it's a great documentary. Like everyone really needs to watch it and it will make you feel very upset about how is international sports so fucking corrupt? Like it's just shocking. I don't how unbelievably corrupt it is. It's of all the things in the world to be mindlessly corrupt, international sports has got to be the weirdest. It is because – there, I mean, like, yeah, there's a lot of money, but comparatively money, speaking, but like, yeah, compared to like that much money. Oh, you make you make more money selling like Ziploc bags than you do selling, you know, soccer. No, it's unbelievable. I also, um, I just want to transition away from this because it's just going to make me it's angry, depressing. and I don't want to break my. I'm not, and I'm not drinking, up. and you're drinking, and I can't do this without drinking. Yeah, fair. I. Uh, I will. I just want to shout out to my man Grant Wall, who had one of the. I'm gonna. I'm gonna splice for our podcast listeners. I'm gonna splice in this audio. Uh, but what what Grant Grant basically went on this rant. I wouldn't call it a rant. I, <laughs> he said, uh, "Over my the." I'm just gonna summarize it. And and Grant, if you're listening to this and you feel like I didn't do a good job. I just let me know. But. Come on the show. <laughs> come on. Come yeah. On, come, come on. Let's fix football, Grant. We'll talk to you. I want to get into a complex situation here because uh, I think if you're going to talk about Russia and this World Cup, it is a complex situation. It's not black and white. Uh, it's not something that you can put into one line on Twitter and say it's a binary thing. But I think it's an important discussion to have. Uh, before I came over here, Uh, There was a point in time when I was kind of like, should I even go to Russia Uh, because of all the things that have been happening uh, over the last year or two in terms of state-sponsored doping being discovered in Russia with Olympic sports, potentially also in soccer. 
and also just all the stuff that's happened uh, between the government of Russia and other governments, including the United States. And I am firmly in the camp now, having come here, having decided to come here, that I'm glad that I did that because the interactions that I've had with ordinary Russians have been terrific. It's been a very positive experience here, and I realize that World Cupsville, which is what this country is for the month that we're here, is not the same as it is outside of the World Cup. I'm not naive about that. Uh, I've also asked ordinary Russians how they feel about their government, how they feel about the elites in their country, and they've been pretty honest in a lot of cases. And uh, I will come away from here with a real affection for the ordinary Russians I've met, even if I don't have that affection for Russia's government and elites. Grant Wall said basically, well, when I came to Russia, I didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, yeah, I didn't like their government. But in general, all the Russians that I've met have been just incredibly nice and wonderful. And what I what I would say to Grant is this, like. If you if you went to a country expecting everyone in that country to be douchebags, then you're an unbelievably closed-minded idiot. Also, like, yeah, like you're going to so you like people are people. You're gonna meet assholes, but most and of the time, people are pretty nice. And you're largely meeting people who have like a similar interest and background with you, right? You're a sports journalist. You're going to be a sporting events where people like are football fans. And so you've already got some common ground. It's not like you're wandering out to like some village where there's a huge cultural gap between you and these, you know, this Russian grandmother who doesn't well, understand like, what you even or whatever. Then like people are just going to be people. And like, a lot of the time with almost everyone and I've I've done a fair amount of traveling around like people are generally pretty welcoming and nice they just want to meet you and say hello and show okay. you their lives like Okay but counterpoint France I my experience in France was pretty good unless you go to Paris. <laughs> you know, Paris is Paris is exactly what I'm talking about and they're the fucking worst. They they've earned every bit of that stereotype. They really have. But Russia uh, if you went in thinking that every Russian is some vodka swilling, wife beating piece of shit, like you're going to be pleasantly surprised. But the truth is that everyone like yeah, it is actually xenophobic to go into a country assuming that everyone's going to be sort of a douchebag. I feel and like this this version of this trap, like this version shows up as a travel version of a travel article for like like twice a year for every single dictatorship in the world. It's like I went to Iran and everyone was nice. And right. it's like, yeah, yeah, because they're just they're like not actually all these, you know, they're the revolutionary guard core. They're right. just people who want to sell you bread. And like. What was really, I mean, I guess to Grant's credit, he at least admitted his prejudices going in, like that he expected a lot worse than what he got, right? But like, I, I just, I, I, can't, the, the self awareness to broadcast it turns out that xenophobia was wrong. Can you imagine like going on TV and being like, wow, it's amazing. I expected all these people to be like Russian babushkas who drank vodka and like tried to beat beat me up just for being Americans. But actually, they all just turned out to be relatively normal people. And, you know, most of them were pretty nice and some of them weren't nice. So, so here's a counterpoint, even though it is still fairly asinine the way he framed it. If I think it would be safe to assume that this is a prejudice that many Americans would have before traveling to Russia. Sure. And so maybe this is a thing that they need to hear. Yeah. 
I'm yeah. I think that's the best possible reading of this. Then probably the frame should be different. Yeah, I yeah. expected this uh, more like yeah. never know. You know, you might, you might be concerned with the people are like Russia. So you don't like the government. Well, let me tell you, they're people. They are. They're people. Amazingly enough, they are in fact people. I don't know, man. I this is this was infuriating, but. What wasn't infuriating is how the Croatian players, after beating Russia in another penalty shootout, where I will add, the Russian players once again sprinted for 120 minutes. Uh, They trolled Russia by chanting, uh, Viva Ukraine, this victory is for Ukraine. Slava Ukraini! And look, the Croatian players as a general, like as a general, I I loved a few of them, but they do have some some pretty uh, shady characters in that dressing room. But this was fucking hilarious. And I don't care about their politics in this particular respect. That was an absolutely hilarious thing to do. So I actually so along with this, I actually also really loved the uh, the. Albanian slash Kosovar members of the uh, Swiss team who were doing the double eagle celebration, the Albanian double double eagle celebration after they beat Serbia. Um, Was a big fan of that. FIFA was not a big fan of that. Yeah, they ended up finding the Kosovar (laughs) players. Um, But I thought they find them. They ah fuck, I fucking hate FIFA. Yeah, they find them. I like the idea of coming back to just fucking hating FIFA. And the way that I want to come back to just hating FIFA is by reading you some quotes from our man, Yanni Infantino. And you can, you know, when you're done with this segment, go ahead and tweet him. It's at Infantino on <laughs> on Twitter. I no. <laughs> It's really not. I'm really okay. I I realize this is our first live broadcast, so you may be experiencing this show for the first time. This is a running joke of ours. Set Blotter once tweeted at Infantino to uh, try to convince Yanni Infantino, the president of FIFA, about something. At Infantino is actually a Twitter account run by a Southern California-based infant toy product company. It's a, so, toy, store. It's a toy, toy store. It's a toy store, folks. Uh, but I just want to read some uh, uh, quotes from our beloved FIFA president, Yanni Infantino, about this tournament. Uh, so one of the <laughs> one of the questions was, um, uh, we prepared special police forces for the tournament. And Yanni Infantino says, yes, all of them smile. That's nice. The atmosphere is really one of celebration of football and of the world, finally. The question, as FIFA, you personally preparing this uh, this Mundial, this World Cup, worked very closely with contacts with the Russian authorities. You several times met with President Putin. It would be fair to say this World Cup was prepared and is under President Putin's patronage. How did it work? How did you feel about this tournament? And he said, well... With the help of President Putin and the whole Russian government has been crucial for the success of this World Cup. I've never witnessed such a big commitment from the top to the bottom. 
because the top sets the tone and the bottom has then to work in making this a success. We have met several times. We were discussing, of course, the organizational sides. You know, we would have 3 million people attending this event. 98% of all stadiums are full. This is only possible if every detail is working. And this is really, to a big extent, thanks to the excellent work of President Putin, who, at the beginning, you know, he was maybe not the biggest football fan. He prefers some other sports, I've been told. But now, the virus has packed him as well, like the whole of Russia. Oh, I know. And, and later he says, and uh, that's what this is all about. And that's the image we want to portray in football. And that's the image of Russia as well, which fully fits into this. No more fearing Russia and about whatever violence or discrimination or God knows what. Nothing of this has happened. Nothing is more far from reality. Some yeah, others were fearing that Russia is not a football country. Well, I think that latest world latest since this World Cup, Russia is one of the biggest football countries in the world, not only on the pitch, but outside the pitch. Nothing is more far from reality than Russia being a uh, organization that they're in a country that doesn't have violence ever. Gabe, I'm I'm curious because I can't remember. Is is Russia still occupying Crimea? <laughs> well, I <laughs> or did Infantino negotiate that out? I was is under the over? impression that that you know Russia that is Russia. Evan is 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 being gay still basically illegal in Russia? That 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 actually is on the books as well. That's weird because I, I'm being told by Infantino that like all the dreams of liberal democracy in Russia have come true because they made yeah. $60 billion at a World Cup. No more fearing about Russia and about whatever violence or discrimination or God knows what. God does know what, Infantino. God, I, I mean, like the idea. So, I mean, I think so first off. The World Cup went relatively smoothly, more or less. I think that, like, if FIFA wants to say that, that's fairly accurate. Like, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of like security issues. There there were incidents of violence because I personally know people who had like who were yep. like sexually assaulted and stuff in Russia. So like that happened. Um, but as a general rule, went went fairly well. The problem with the whole way the Infantino is framing it is like, well, you know, it went fairly smoothly. TV wasn't too interrupted. We made plenty of money, and so everything's great. Look, you all were reacting. Of course they were. Nothing of this has happened, Evan. Yeah. Nothing of this. Nothing is more far from reality. Yep. There was no violence. No discrimination. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, people say that the World Cup is just propaganda for the regimes that, uh, that buy it, basically. And I generally feel like the World Cup is the World Cup and it can be manipulated. You know, it's it just it's a thing. And it, 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 it's not that it can be it, it should be and can be separated from these things, but it's a thing that exists in and of itself that can be manipulated. And in this case, it's so obvious exactly what the Russian Federation was the, the Kremlin was doing with this World Look, Cup. It, it is no coincidence right that brazil which was seeking to kind of have a coming out party as one of the brick countries had back-to-back world cup and olympics and then that russia which is one of the brick countries that wanted to have a coming out party on the global stage also had back-to-back world cups and olympics right 
the reason why these countries are all in to get these tournaments and these games legitimately or not and really let's just be completely honest fucking not legitimately you know the reason why they're going all out to buy these things is because of how valuable they are as a propaganda tool you know russia spent like 50 billion dollars that's not i'm not just making that number up that's how much they spent on uh like everything around the winter olympics and they did it so they could have this big look how great russia is party and the world cup's the same way just a little bit cheaper yep uh I don't have any. And Infantino's just fucking playing into the hand, right? That's what's inferior about these comments. He's just, he's, he knows what Russia paid for, and he's going to make sure that Russia gets their money's worth. I don't have anything to add to that. And I think that the best thing that we can do in order to save any possibility of us ever visiting Russia, because I would like to one day go to St. Petersburg, Evan, um, yeah. is to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm actually kind of worried about these red dots around my, around my office right now. This is concerning. <laughs> I mean, I've been hearing a beeping and I'm hoping it's my coffee maker, but, uh, it sounds a little closer than that. So let's go on and talk a little bit, um, about the final of the world cup. Um, yeah. So basically what happened in the semifinals is that France beat Belgium in a game that uh, promised to be one of the best games in the World Cup and actually ended up being uh, a match where France played a very Italian style of football. Uh, and Belgium spent most of the game trying to break down that French French wall. I mean, I I, I said at the beginning, Evan, that and and you know we can go back and look at these that France was the best team in this World Cup and they I think pretty clearly were. Um, that being said, I don't think they played the the most exciting uh, the exciting game. Like they, that that wasn't their style. That wasn't the Deschamps style. Yeah, you know what's annoying is that they were clearly the best team, but they felt like they were being held back the whole time. Like yeah, you you felt like like this team should have just. Like this was not this was a great World Cup entertainment wise. This was not a great World Cup talent wise or in terms of like how well the teams were playing. Like the teams kind of sucked overall. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and so France really should have just really sliced through this World Cup. And they did. And they didn't because they were held back from playing the type of, you know, free flowing, you know, irresistible force type of football that they could have played. Um, and it was a shame because it would have been fun to watch them, you know, eat people up six nothing. It would have, uh, and they could have, and that's sort of what, uh, you know, gets me about the way that Deschamps kind of uh, approached this World Cup. And part of what really gets me, you know, on top of all this is that I get it, and that's I hate that I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like I hate, I hate, I hate that I get that Deschamps didn't want to risk too much because he knew that he had a fantastic back line. Like Umtiti and Baran are two of the best center backs in the entire world. If I think that Baran personally is my pick for, you know, best, if not second best in the entire world at center back. And Umtiti is certainly up there as well. So if you've got, you know, and, and Pavar, and then in front of those two players, those two inarguably, especially Baran, but inarguably good players, you've got Kante, Right. You're not going to give up that many goals. And if you want to play this kind of slow Kata, not not Kata, not you exactly, but a very slow, uh, a very, very slow build up, you can. And that yeah. is infuriating. 
Yeah. Well, and I think it, it, it's not just that they had a strong line. It's also that they had Pogba, um, who was, I think, really key to that slow buildup. Um, well, he, he kind of was the trigger between either a very slow buildup or when they did really let it, you know, let Mbappe run, you know, that was the guy who was, tra- who was you know, key in transition. Yeah. And and I will say that to, to Deschamps' credit, Pogba, always, you know, he always looks good kind of in that deeper role. Um, and he, you know, I think the United has had, you know, mixed success pushing him further up the pitch. Um, but he is real. I mean, he's great everywhere. He is really good in that deeper role. And he was really, uh, really effective in yeah. front of the back line. He was, he was, uh, and he, I think showed some of the value that he could, that, that with perhaps a better or a more, um, appropriately organized club team, he could have really shown, um, unfortunately, he plays for Jose Mourinho, who uh, does not value this particular type of player. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I, I would say that, given all of that, Croatia actually really did dominate the midfield portion of the match. Like that's partially because Conte dropped so deep and allowed like Rakitic, not Rakitic, but really Modric to create in that in that final third and and Perisic to get in behind and create opportunities that you know ultimately they weren't particularly well taken and they weren't particularly high xg chances but if you look at that first half Evan France actually had 0.0 xg yeah yeah because the own goal obviously counts for counts for no xg um, Even though that would have been because if it had glanced off of, you know, Baran's head or it would have been a pretty high XG. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I mean, without the, you know, without the, you know, without the touch that caused the own goal, it's probably going to be a really solid shot on goal right? Uh, for, for, uh, for France. So, you know, for, you know, it's zero, but it kind of with a caveat, but you're right though. They weren't creating chances in the first half. They were pretty lucky. Um, in the first half, and they didn't really start creating chances until they just started bypassing the midfield altogether by launching the ball over the top to Mbappe. Like that's when they and started Griezmann, creating chances. Right. And Griezmann, and, and and you know that one of the interesting things about this World Cup is the way that the, that I think we can see that uh, tactics have begun to evolve towards um, the Gareth Southgate Southgate model, model which is essentially uh, creating a wing heavy approach that bypasses a midfield um and and focuses on a very very talented offensive line that includes very fast players but also includes very good you know distributors so in that model harry kane for example plays the role of almost a a false nine. Oh, absolutely yeah <laughs> right, harry, yeah no 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 you you know this better than i do because you have been following the english team for yeah, a long so- time so Harry Kane was getting a lot of criticism for not making, you know, not having more chances from open play, right? He's, he's won the golden boot, but he won it off set pieces and penalties. But what people, I guess, weren't paying enough attention to is that he was being asked to drop way back in the midfield to collect the ball um, and then distribute it kind of like a false nine or almost just playing as kind of a straight up number 10 sometimes, um, with, you know, kind of in that space because yeah. he's a great distributor. Um, and theoretically this role is fairly interchangeable with the other forwards. Um, but it just so happens that, you know, Raheem Sterling is, you know, his skill set is, is running in behind and Harry Kane's a better distributor. And so right. he's playing more 
that second striker role. Um, but you're right that there, the idea was basically we're not going to have a midfield. We're playing Deli Alley essentially as a midfielder, but he's going to push forward. So, you know, sometimes this ends up looking like a, a three, one, six, basically. Um, and, and, you know, it works sometimes, sometimes it, sometimes not having a midfield against Croatia was a really bad fucking idea. Um, but you are asking, you know, you're asking Harry Kane to drop back and collect the ball. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, I think in chunks against that Croatia, you know, especially in that, in the world cup final, but you know, in, in a lot of other matches, you know, the, the Raheem Sterling factor, just, just literally how fast Raheem Sterling was, was not against Croatia. I meant to bring back, um, uh, uh, the, the England tactical thing, but England thrived partially because of how, uh, threatening Raheem Sterling's pace was. And, the because the the smart you know tactical play against a team like England is to push your defenders up and really overload that uh you know between midfield and defense channel so that they can't have any service but because of Raheem Sterling's specific pace and in the French case Mbappe's pace and you know Greenspan's a fast guy but Mbappe specifically uh you know, they, they actually had teams that really couldn't, you know, push as far up enough to really cut off those passing lanes. And yeah. that, I think, was really important both for England and for France. Now, what I'm really interested in is how Belgium defended England. But what was interesting more about that game was that it, it, it struck me that it didn't seem like England really tried as hard as I expected them to. No, they did not. They did not give a shit about that game. Um, I think that England, you know, I think. And I, I, yeah, I don't know exactly why the mentality might have been different for Belgium. It might be that, you know, England's just a younger team and um, they were probably buying some of their own bullshit after a little while. You know, they were getting slurped pretty hard. Yeah. And, you know, and so when they lost in, in when they lost a semifinal that they very, very, very well could have won um, and pro- arguably should have won. Um, given the position they had going into the second half, there's, you know, very sure into you know, the end of the second half, really, they probably should have won that match. Um, you know, I, I think that was probably just too much of a blow for them. Yeah. And, 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 you know, um, they just, they just didn't care. Yeah. That was a, that was a tough match for England. I think, uh, now I don't want to take anything away from Croatia because I do think they are deserved finalists. Like one of the, one of the, what really strikes me about this Croatian team was not just that they, what they did was, uh, showed a tactical response, right. To the, uh, kind of modern trend to abandon this center midfield or play like France did, which is with one center defensive midfielder. Uh, Brazil, actually, I actually think that Brazil probably would have progressed past Belgium if Casemiro hadn't been uh, card tied because mm-hmm. Casemiro played the same role for Brazil that Conte played for for uh, for France in that he he was this... Uh, the only player in center midfield that really could play in between those two lines of, you know, to those two lines and prevent those balls through. So it was a fascinating thing where uh, uh, the, the Croatian said, well, okay, if this is what the tactics are, we're going to, we're going to play to our strengths. And uh, I thought that it, it actually worked really well uh, against the various teams that they played. I mean, obviously, like, they didn't exactly have the toughest road, like, yeah. playing Russia. 
Uh, but they did play a Russia team that was basically just fucking Dolph Lundgren from Rocky Four, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like being injected with fucking steroids while they're lifting kegs over their heads. But like <laughs> they managed to beat them in the penalty shootout. So who cares? But like, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, this this Croatian team was a fascinating team. And, you know, what what in addition to their tactical versatility and their tactical decision to say, you know, screw it. We're not going to try to try to respond to our opponent's tactics. And, you know, we're going to say, we're going to allow Trippier to have uh, all of that space. Right. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to trust in our defenders to, to try to mark him, which they didn't. Right. Trippier was the man of the match, every match for England, basically. Yeah. Uh, and we're just going to assume that our center midfielders are going to be able to 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 do this for them. Uh, it's it's a ballsy play, and uh, I I respect the crap out of Croatia. Um, it bums me out a little bit that they that they lost that match in the in the manner that they did. I think we as a as a watching public deserved a little bit closer <laughs> a little well, bit closer the, match. And the X goal kind of shows us that we should have, you know, nine times out of 10, we get a closer match out of yeah, that. Yeah, we did. The, we the, did. X, the X goal was, was way closer than the score line. Um, and, and, you know, uh, yeah, Croatia, the, I mean, the, the, the like a, t- a team like France has like a million options and how they want to set up and how they want to play. And like, they maybe took the less obvious way, like we talked about, but they had a lot of options. Croatia didn't have a ton of options for how to play. Like they're a smaller team. They have less depth. They have to play to their best players. And what do right. they have? They have the best center midfielders in the world. Um, they have the single best center midfielder in the world in, in Modric. And then they have a lot of other really good midfielders. Um, and, I, I can just think off the top of my head, just so many, so many times when, you know, Modric or, or Kovacic would just sneak up behind right. them, just completely pick their pocket um, and just, you know, instantly transition to a big chance, especially at the end of the England match when, um, when they were just creating chance out of chance after chance, they were all being created out of that deep midfield, uh, midfield area. And it's, uh, it, it is not, you're right. It's not how teams play very often these days. Um, it's not the high velocity up the wings over the top game that, uh, or the slick passing around the box game that most teams are trying to play, but it was really, really cool to watch. Yeah. Okay. Um, last topic. And I think we're going to touch on it quickly because I want to do it more next week. Um, yeah. because it's really going to be a finals or sorry, it's going to be a post, it's a post world cup topic and it's a really a transfer. And like, we don't have that much like transfer bullshit to talk about anyways, but I do want to say the arguably the most, the biggest news of the week, other than the world cup final Real Madrid have sold Cristiano Ronaldo to Juventus. And, um, it turns out that Real Madrid fans are having really regular ones about it. Super, it's a super normal reaction. Um, all across the board to a to a star player leaving i think that that's fair to be fair all right so and 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 to to be fair a lot of real madrid fans are actually not ironically having normal ones like right this is like uh i think that it's i don't want to be the guy that takes credit but like our our group of people that i you know that i work with you know om keon that we our podcast our our work really has been preparing people for this for a while. And I think that Real Madrid's board has been preparing this for a while because they've, they've seen, you know, the end, any dynasty 
uh, if they're not prepared for the next stage after the dynasty is over, is going to end up with a prolonged period of not being that good. And Real Madrid is not a team that deals with a prolonged period of not being that good very well. And and so the way that Madrid has been preparing for this, the end of this dynasty, uh, has been by acquiring extremely exciting young talent. Now, they missed out on Mbappe last year, and if they'd gotten him, then I would be incredibly fine with everything that's going down. But Real Madrid still has a incredibly young, very exciting team, and the belief at the moment is that they are going to hand off this incredibly exciting young team to Lopetegui. That being said, what we saw was this. One of the coolest things, Evan, was that uh, the Real Madrid official account lost 1 million followers and the Juventus official account gained 1 million followers in one day. That's awesome. How cool is that shit? That's so cool. Twitter.com is so stupid. (laughs) I mean, the fanboy, like, and... You know, it's sports. People should yeah. support like you know teams and players yeah. the way that they want. Like, no, you're right. And I I've never so like I know that there's a lot of people who watch sports that way. Uh, I mean, there's people in the U.S. who watch sports that way who like they're they're more fan of a player than a team. Like I I uh, I worked with a guy once who was the biggest Terrell Owens fan in the world. He owned a Terrell Owens jersey from every team that he ever played on. And whenever he went to a new team, he bought a new Terrell Owens jersey because he was a Terrell Owens fan. That's what, and he, that's that's what, he, what he was a fan of. That's what he liked. And I think you see it a lot in basketball, right? I do want to sure. shout out the guy who, you know, the Magic Madrid account on our Facebook, it wasn't even fucking anything to do with Ronaldo, tweeted out a picture of Alfredo Di Stefano who – you know, won the first five Champions Leagues for Real Madrid. Like, he is the club legend. He made the club what it was. Like, you know, it's the kind. It's like Lou Gehrig, that kind of, like, or Babe Ruth, really, in soccer, uh, in Europe, at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they tweeted out, like, oh, it's been three, uh, uh, four years since you died, like, gone but not forgotten. Check out this response. Um, are you trying... You are trying to hard admin. It is not working. Let's value what we have right now, not what we have or things past. Don't try to diminish the GOAT because you are mourning his departure. Ronaldo took us from a black and white club to the most dominant club of the 21st century. Ronaldo is the most important figure in the 21st century. Your statements this past few weeks have been childish and weak. That is in response to a Alfredo Di Stefano gone but not forgotten post. It's very regular response to an in memoriam. Yeah. Everyone having an extremely, extremely regular one. Uh, and sp- speaking of people who are, you know, generally, you know, over the last week have been having an extremely regular one. The uh, president of the United States has weighed in on Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, uh, president Donald J. Trump. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> president Donald J. Trump has weighed in. Uh, saying, and and I quote, um, yeah, great. No, uh, no, no, no. I think, uh, I think, and uh, the president of Portugal says, uh, no doubt about it, uh, for the world, uh, President 
uh, Trump says, uh, let me tell you, uh, how good a player is he? Uh, are you impressed? Uh, and he says, I'm very much impressed, sir. He is the best player in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo. So in a sense, well, I think he has been a success. I do agree with you. The championship, yes. And President Trump says, so, uh, yeah, will, will Christian ever run for president against you? He wouldn't win. You know he won't. You would win. So there you go. Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah, I mean, I won't say much about this other than, like, of course he thinks that Cristiano Ronaldo should run for president. Like, why wouldn't he? That makes a lot of sense. Everyone is generally having an extremely regular one with respect to this. The last thing I want to say uh, is that I think there is a lot of que- – uh, there's a huge question about whether there's going to be FFP, financial fair play issues, with respect to the way Juve is going to pay for this because the transfer itself is – you know, 105 million, which is, you know, I think a lot for a 33-year-old player, but whatever. That's actually not the issue. The issue is that Cristiano Ronaldo demands a 30 to 35 million euro after-tax payment, which means that in Europe, especially, this is a 60 to 70 million dollar or euro a year payment from Juve, which is almost uh, you know, it's it's uh about a quarter of the total amount that Juve is paying to its players currently. And that includes Higuain and a couple of their other big stars. So uh, Juve doesn't have a lot of ways to increase its revenue. Yeah, to to my knowledge, they do not have access to a sovereign wealth fund that can just renegotiate (laughs) some contracts. So we will see in the next few months how Juve exactly, and I've got an article coming out about this, how they try to deal with this. And whether it's um and and P and you know obviously FF you know UEFA will have to, you know, really show us in the next couple, you know, really in the next couple of years, whether they really take FFP seriously, because the way that the best way that I've heard that Juve can deal with this is by appealing to Ferrari, which is the owner, one of the owner of Juve also owns Ferrari. And if Ferrari can somehow also sponsor half or more of Cristiano Ronaldo's salary, then maybe Juve doesn't have to put that on the books. Now that to me seems like, um, a, a payment that UEFA will investigate. I'd be very interested in the actual like right. structure and what, what Ferrari is buying. Exactly. There. So we'll have to see exactly how this goes down. I'd imagine it'd be some kind of like sponsorship deal, right? So like some kind of additional sponsorship yes. that would just go towards the salary or something. That's right. Um, but the thing is that Cristiano Ronaldo is also a player who does have a fair amount of ego uh, with respect to how he is paid vis-a-vis the other players in the world. So he may want, I don't know. I'm I'm really up in the air about whether Juve is going to make this work. Not the first year. I actually think, because remember, UEFA um, FFP is retrospective. This mm-hmm. year it's going to work. The question is, in ni- 2019-2020, which is the year that UEFA will be investigating uh, Juve, whether this is going to work out on a financial fair play level. And I think it's an absolute open question. Uh, yeah. If if anything, I think it's more likely than not that UEFA will come down with sanctions to UVA. And, and there's there's a lot of like just chatter and smoke about them selling Iguain right now. Yeah. And I'm, that's directly related, I think, to, yeah. uh, to uh, 
to and, the Cristiano Ronaldo play. But on some level, like if Juve has to sell all of its absolutely high-end elite talent, what is the point of bringing in? I mean, like obviously to increase the global brand, but are they really making themselves more likely to be cha- Champions League com- you know, contenders if they have to sell Iguain and Dybala and some of their yeah. other players in order to like satisfy the wage demands of Cristiano Ronaldo? It's it's a, yeah. it's a totally open question. Yep. And we'll have more on this next week when we come back to you. Uh, I promise that in the future we will be more uh, public. We'll publicize these live shows. I'm going to edit this and obviously release this on the podcast player as well. But for now, that is your Let's Fix Football for this week. Um, and I hope you guys all enjoyed this live show. This is sort of like the direction I think that um, I want to go with this. I'm pretty, I'm pretty into it. Um, I'm not gonna lie. This is um, my cousin who is 12 year old, 12 years old idea. But you know what? Um, 12 years old. That actually uh, is the future of this medium. And. Uh, if we can do this and do this well, and if you guys like this, let us know. Um, you can find us obviously on YouTube now, but also on the iTunes store and let us know how, uh, how you're thinking. So, uh, until, uh, until next week, Evan, it's been fun. Catch you later, buddy. Bye. Deadly sins, yeah. We refine them all the worse with degenerate kings, pushy beggars, fallen ladies of letters and verse, pride, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, and envy. It's all in a half day's work for me, but oh, oh, I pay no mind. And I'll pay no mind to a name that you would employ me I despise all that kind Job search and destroy me Oh hand me my gun, my friend will have some fun Shoot down the spies from the trees And kick up the leaves in the morning breeze Pay no mind Your dreams, no, 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 pay no mind.